0: Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this beautiful psalm is beautiful because you are our good shepherd. And it promises that promises us that you are always with us. Lord, we thank you for that promise. Life is difficult. And it punches us around sometimes, but we thank you that you are the sovereign God, that we are in your hand, and that you will never leave us or forsake us, because we will always dwell in your house forever. Help me to proclaim your word and proclaim the grace of our Lord Jesus. I ask this in his name. Amen. You know, people ask about our worship service from time to time, and I say, well, basically we are reading the Scriptures, singing the Scriptures, praying the Scriptures, proclaiming the Scriptures, and uh, here this morning, just in the last few minutes, we sang Psalm 23, read Psalm 23, and now I have the joy Of proclaiming Psalm 23. And um, prayed uh, Titus 2, 12 and 13 as well. For a people who belong to God, Psalm 23 has always been a favorite. Why is that? Well, it's because Psalm 23 reminds us that God is always with us through the good times and the bad, that He guides us and He keeps us for Himself. Psalm 23, like many of the Psalms, was written by King David. Although David was a shepherd when he was young, I firmly believe that Psalm 23 was written later, in fact, much later in his life. I do not think that David would have had the experience earlier in life to compose such a mature and wise uh, psalm. Psalm 23 is written from the, the perspective of a person looking backwards over his life. And he's tracing God's faithfulness to him in his past, into his present, and even going forward into his future. Uh, Psalm 23 is from the perspective of the writer who has recognized that God has shepherded him through the green pastures and the dangerous valleys of his life. He is able to see that even in the worst times of life, um, that God has been blessing him. And that God is the one who is bringing blessing into his life. It's hard to believe that in the worst times of our life, that God is using those times to bring his blessings. But I hope to convince you that this is the case. As we work through Psalm 23. That even when you are in the darkest, deepest parts of the valley of the shadow of death. That God is at work in you. That He is at work in your circumstances. That He is never going to leave you. That His rod and His staff will comfort you all along the way even when you need to be turned back onto the path, that you will dwell in His house forever and ever. God will never leave you. And so, may God help me to, um, to convey that this morning. David begins his psalm very straightforwardly. He states very simply, The Lord is. Is my shepherd. You know, I can't think of the Lord being my shepherd without thinking of Psalm 100, which uh, Dale very wisely chose for the opening of our uh, service this morning. I can't help for think of John chapter 10, Um, Psalm 100 verse three. Know that the Lord He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. In John chapter 10, I believe Jesus is preaching a sermon about Himself based on Psalm 23, based on Psalm 100. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. Listen to what Jesus says about himself and about his love for his sheep in John chapter 10. Verse 3 The sheep hear the shepherd's voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4 The shepherd goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Verse 9 I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out and in and find pasture. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verses 14 and 15, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Now back to, to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. Because the Lord is David's shepherd, therefore, he shall not lack for anything that he needs. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, I shall not lack. Everything I need, God is going to provide. He is my shepherd. It's axiomatic. It cannot be otherwise. If the Lord is your shepherd... All your real needs will be met. Even as you live through the difficulties and strains in your life. You can know that He is leading you and He is leading you for your good. Or Let me put it a little differently. If you're having a hard time grasping this. Are you willing to say that Christ shepherding of you is defective. No, I don't think anybody would be willing to say Christ, our good shepherd, is defective in the way He's leading me. No, we wouldn't say that. Because we know the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want that He gives us everything we need. Even though we don't always like it at the moment. Verses 2 and 3 is David's affirmation that God is always with us. That God is always leading us into a place of blessing. Our day-to-day existence as God's children is to live in the green pastures. To live beside the peaceful waters. Um, This is God's leading. He leads us to the green pastures, to the peaceful waters of His And He does it through His refreshing sovereignty. Look at verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. See that? It's God's sovereignty. He's the one making us lie down. He's the one who is leading us. We don't just stumble into the green pasture. He's leading us. And that He's describing here our day-to-day existence as His children. This is quite a statement for David to make. David, earlier in his life, you will remember, spied upon Bathsheba while she was taking a bath on her roof. And he was so full of lust that he took her into his bed, even though she was a married woman. When she turned up pregnant, David then cooked up a plan to have her husband murdered to cover up his sin. But God knew everything. God always knows everything. David should have received the death penalty for what he did. Uh, But God was merciful to the fledgling kingdom of Israel. God was merciful to David. If David had been removed as the king, the, the uh, young nation of Israel would have been plunged into civil war. Uh, and so instead of the death penalty, God severely disciplined David to bring about justice for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Uh, God's discipline sent a long train of hardship into David's life. Truly, David learned that sin brings sadness. Sadness. When David was caught in his sin, when, when Nathan came and said, You're the man. Nathan said, The sword is not going to depart from your house. And there was a lot of death in David's house. David's firstborn son, by Bathsheba, died shortly after birth. Later, David's son, Amnon, raped his step- stepsister, uh, Tamar. Absalom, Tamar's brother, then plotted Absalom or Amnon's death and ended up uh, murdering him. David did not do anything to um, to uh, Amnon for raping uh, his daughter, and then David did not do anything to Absalom when Absalom murdered uh, Amnon. Absalom saw this as weakness and plotted a coup against his father. He would have been uh, successful in this coup or in this coup had God not intervened. Absalom, his son, ended up being killed in battle during the coup. In other words, three dead children and another that was raped by her stepbrother. And that was not the end of the discipline that God sent into David's life. Time does not permit uh, for us to trace it all out. Now, maybe you're saying, how can, God, or how can David say that God is making him to lie down in green pastures? How can David say that God is leading him beside the peaceful waters if God's discipline upon him was so great? Well this is going to be this sermon is going to be a lesson in God's grace. God loved David no less in spite of David's sin. While God was righteously righteously disciplining David and bringing about justice for Uriah's murder, God loved David. David was able to rest in God's refreshing sovereignty even though his life was brimming with suffering that was brought on by his sin. In spite of the discipline, David was suffering for his sin. Um, He was also fully forgiven of his sin. David says, uh, in fact, one of the very psalms where he is confessing his sin of committing adultery with Bathsheba, killing her husband Uriah. Psalm 32. In that very psalm, Where he's confessing this sin, David says, Blessed is the one whose whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. David is a sinner. He committed heinous sins which threw his life into utter turmoil, but he was forgiven. God loved David as if David had never sinned in his entire life. When you are forgiven of your sins, you are forgiven. There may be consequences. There may be discipline. But you are forgiven. You can live your life with the full, the unflinching assurance that God loves you no less then He loves His Son, Jesus Christ. You can know that while God is pouring out His discipline into your life, God is making you to lie down in green pastures and is leading you beside the still waters. It's mind-boggling. God may lay you low to teach you, but He promises to restore you. Look at verse 3. He restores my soul, implying that his soul needed to be restored. He leads me in paths of righteousness, suggesting that he had been previously off the righteous path. And God has turned him around. And he does this for his name's sake. How can you know that God will restore you? What if He lays you so low that you can't get back up? God has a reputation to uphold. Look again at verse 3, that last little phrase. For His namesake. God is faithful to all His promises. and And He promises to restore the soul of His people even after they have sinned against Him. And so He will restore your soul When you have sinned against Him. He will put your feet. Back on the right path. And He will do it. For His name's sake. Some of you. I know it to be true. Feel very unworthy. Of God's love. You believe that God loves you less. Than He loves others. Because of your sin. But if you belong to Jesus Christ. God takes your sin Out of the equation. He loves you. He is going to lead you. Into the green pastures. And um, beside the still waters. And he's going to do it. For his name's sake. You can't earn God's favor. You can't earn his willingness. To work in your life. And restore your soul. He does it for his name's sake. He does it in spite of us. He does it because our Lord Jesus Christ came here to earth, suffered on the cross, became sin for us to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay. He paid it completely. Therefore, in Christ, God sees us as justified. He sees us as if we have never sinned. He loves us regardless of our sin. In verse 4, David moves from the green fields and the peaceful waters of verses 2 and 3 to the very chilling valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death stands in direct contrast with these peaceful pastures we saw in verse 2. It is a valley, or it's in a valley, um, that is a shadow, um, or a shadowed, so it is a dark place. Death. Is casting the shadow. So it's foreboding. It's scary. But even here. The Christian need not fear. Why not? Because God is present. Look at verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. They comfort me. I would argue that the sense of God's presence is closer to us in the dark valleys than in the green pastures. In verse 2, David speaks about what God does for other Christians. Verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So he's talking about God in the third person. He does this for me. He does that for me. In verse 4. He moves from the third person to the second person. Instead of talking about, he does this for me, he says, even though I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, not he will be with me, but you will be with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, as he moves into the valley of the shadow of death, his address is very personal. Um, he addresses God as you, you are with me, your rod, your staff, they comfort me. The trouble and fear of the dark valley drives David closer to God, to a more intimate walk with God. In my experience, uh, many people draw closer to God when death begins to spread its shadow over their lives. They have a better sense of God's presence with them. But I think this should be true of all times for suffering in a Christian's life. Uh, God uses suffering in our lives to help us grow closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. When you're going through suffering, don't waste your suffering on a pity party. Use the suffering God brings into your life as a means of reminding yourself how much you need Him. To remind yourself that He is walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. That He is never going to leave you. That His rod and His staff, which might be used to direct you back back onto the, the path of righteousness. Or might be used to fend off enemies that are coming to attack you. That that rod and that staff in God's hands are there for your comfort even if He is using it for your discipline. Because even God's discipline is a source of comfort. Listen to Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. It says, God disciplines us for our good, so that we may share in His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Don't try to flee from God when you're going through hardship. Don't stay away from church. Don't stop praying. But rather, draw even nearer to God. Knowing that He is with you as you are going through the valley of the shadow of death. Look for a more intimate walk with God. A closer uh, fellowship with Him while you're going through times of suffering. Now, if you're following the flow of Psalm 23, you're beginning to realize that the more difficult your life is, the more blessed your life can be. Look at verse 5, because verse 5 confirms this. It says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. You know, it's one thing to be tempted to fear when you're going through difficult circumstances, when you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. But when we are in the presence of people who actively hate us, in the presence of people who mean us harm, we'd better be on our toes. We'd better be alert. But when God is on your side, even being in the presence of your enemies is no cause for concern. You can be relaxed. You can be festive because God is with you. That's what he's saying here in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Even though my enemy is sitting right there, meaning me harm, I can rejoice and take comfort in God. Now this is what I'll call poetic heightening. If someone breaks into your home, don't disregard the intruder and throw him a feast, right? This verse is telling us, if God is for us, who can be against us? Can an enemy be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Even if our enemy is pressing down upon us, God's with us. We can com- take comfort in Him. If Christ, uh, verse 5 wants us to pose this question to ourselves. If Christ can sustain and uphold me in the presence of my enemies, then is there any circumstance in which Christ cannot or will not sustain me? Scan the whole um, surface of your circumstances. Scan every situation you've ever been in. Is there any time in your life where Christ has not been able to sustain you? Think into the future. Will there ever be any time in your life where Christ will be unwilling or unable to sustain you? If He went to the cross and died for your sins... If he became sin for you, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see the logic? And this is what David is saying. Even in the presence of your enemies, if God is with you, you have no reason to fear. He's not saying if someone breaks into your house, throw a party. He is simply saying, That we can have the joy of the Lord regardless of our circumstances. You can have the joy of the Lord in any circumstances as long as the Lord is your joy. Verse 6, I have a quibble with the translation uh, of one word in verse 6. This word, follow. So it says in verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. It's the Hebrew word radish. It is uh, typically translated as pursue or chase, even persecute. The idea is not that goodness and mercy follow along after us like a, a, a cute little obedient puppy dog. That's much too tame a picture for what's happening here. Rather, the idea is that goodness and mercy will pursue us relentlessly throughout our life. If we are lying in the green pastures beside the peaceful waters, uh, then goodness and mercy are lying at our side. If we are wandering through the valley of the shadow of death, goodness and mercy have not abandoned us. Uh, but are pursuing us relentlessly. It is as if God has two hound dogs, one named Goodness and the other named Mercy. Even if we try to escape from them, they'll get our scent, right? Uh, They're always tracking us. Even if we think we've wandered away from the path, even if we think we've wandered away from God, those two hound dogs of, of uh, goodness and mercy will track us down wherever we go. Relentlessly, God's goodness and mercy are unrelenting toward His children. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Except for Tuesday. No, <laughs> Right? All the days of my life. It's hard to believe. um, It's hard to believe this when there are moments in our life when we seem all alone and when God seems distant. But He is there. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you are in His grip. He is loving you, He is pursuing you, He is blessing you. Trust Him, look to Him. Especially when you are in the the deep, dark valley of the shadow of death. Remember that your sins are wiped away. That the Lord counts none of your transgressions against you. Your sin cannot separate you from God if Christ has already removed your sins. If God's goodness and mercy are relentlessly pursuing you all the days of your life. If God has removed all your sins forever... If God is preparing a festive table for you, even in the presence of your enemies, even your worst enemies. If God is walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death. If God is making you lie down in the green pastures. If God is leading you beside the quiet, um, peaceful waters. Then what in your life might you lack? Going back to verse 1. You can rest assured that God is always with you. Not only through the trials of this life, but forever. Look at verse 6. The last part of verse 6. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Christ is not only leading you through this life He is shepherding you safely into eternity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for including Psalm 23 in the writings of sacred scripture. And we thank you that you left us without doubt that Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. That everything that God is doing for us in Psalm 23 christ is doing for us because he loves us so much he loves us so much he laid down his life for us he loves us so much that he's going to call us by name and give us ears to hear so that we will respond lord jesus you are good to your sheep i'm reminded of psalm or of isaiah 53 it just passed through my mind we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way. But you love us so much that you are our shepherd and you, you always return us to the paths of righteousness for your namesake. Lord, I pray for any soul here this morning that is distressed because of the difficulties of life. I pray for any here who are walking presently through the valley of the shadow of death. God, I also pray for those who are lying in the green pastures beside the peaceful waters. Lord, shepherd us all. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.